Welcome to Classical Chats. I'm Tiffany. As you might notice, it looks different today. It's because I'm currently in a hotel in DC because a few days ago I performed a concert. And uh, I am doing this remote and it's the last episode of the year. Can you believe this is the last episode of Classical Chats of 2021? And I'm very happy to be ending this year with two editors from Hainla Furlak. Hold on. From Hainla, these blue books, they are the Urtext publisher. They have great sheet music that I grew up using and I brought the hard copies with me on this trip. They'll be talking about what they do as music editors, what exactly is the process into making these sheet music that we musicians read pretty much every day. And we're gonna talk a little bit about Haydn and Chopin and just learn about their work. And I'm excited. Also, quick note before I start this episode, I'm currently wearing our holiday merch. And if you would like to support our fundraiser, the links will be in the description for you. And I hope that we can make it to the $10,000 goal. All the grants recipients will also be receiving some scores from Hainla so that you can get really high quality sheet music as you learn music. Let's meet Annette Oppermann and Norbert Mullerman. So right. I'm glad we're smiling while we start this. Welcome to Classical Chats. It's great to have you. You're my last guest of the year. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, this is the last episode of the year and I'm here in DC and you're in Germany. I'm glad we can make this happen. Well, so welcome. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited we're to glad learn. To. <laughs> Yay. Well, um, we're going to learn a lot from you because we as musicians always look at sheet music, but we don't really know the process behind how that sheet music comes to our faces every day. So. Uh, let's start from the beginning. How did your journey with classical music begin? Shall I start? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it started classical with singing. I was an enthusiastic singer from childhood and joined the choirs of my church, etc. And only changed to instruments when I came to school because I learned that in the school orchestra instruments are needed. And I started with a guitar, but this was, of course, not a very good instrument for a classical school orchestra. So later on, I changed to violin and cello and cello is now my favorite instrument. I played very much music with the school orchestra. This was my first and very intensive contact with classical music. Oh, wow, you play so many different instruments. I didn't know. <laughs> Not any longer. <laughs> right oh. now, I, I only play cello and I do singing always. <laughs> That's great. And you, Norbert? Yeah, well, I don't play as many instruments as Annette does. <laughs> I just play. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I just play piano, and, and actually, it's uh, actually my my dad was a music teacher, and so so it was kind of given that all of us, like I have two brothers, we had to learn an instrument, and I wasn't so much into it at the very beginning. I didn't really want to, and <laughs> this was also because my parents wanted me to learn violin. And I have to admit, I didn't like the violin at all. So 
<laughs> so actually my grandma, she told me, okay, if you learn an instrument, it should be piano. So I just listened to her and uh, yeah, and, and sort of it, it was the correct choice. It, uh, you know, from the very first lesson I got into it and the piano had a very strong, strong fascination, if you can say so. So I was really, um, yeah, I think it was the correct choice. That's cool. Well, we're similar because piano to me was also just somehow it feels right. And uh, a few days ago when I finally got to play on stage again, everything just felt very normal. Like I, I am there with the piano and it's all good again. So um, how did you then come from so many different instruments for, uh, for Aneta and you just from learning the piano then become a music editor? This was Probably a long way. Yeah. Feel <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> free to summarize. <laughs> a short summary. I, I always wanted to do something uh, with music professionally, but I started as a, a music uh, in a music shop and sold uh, sheet music and instruments and. That was the place where I learned that there are so many different editions of uh, classical pieces like Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier or Beethoven Sonatas. And I got more and more interested in them. And um, so I wanted to know more about this and I decided to study musicology and was quite on the point to do exactly these things, uh, looking into the editions, critical editing of music, philology in my Yes, studying musicology. And so when writing my PhD in music, I came into contact with Henle. Uh, and from the moment I was the first time here in the house, I knew that is the place where I want to work. <laughs> and so I started to make uh, the preparations for this. And I went to the Josef Haydn Institute in Cologne, uh, where the critical edition of Josef Haydn's works is done. And worked there for a few years and after that I came here and joined the editorial department. Hmm. So it kind of all just naturally happened. You were curious about the sheet music in the, sh in the shop and so yeah. that's how it started. Cool. What and I still am. Ah, that's great. I mean, <laughs> if you're not anymore, then we won't have the sheet music. <laughs> So what about you, Norbert? It's funny because it's kind of similar what Annette said, that uh, the first time she came to our offices, she sort of decided to become a music editor at Hainle. <laughs> this is this was also my experience because for a very long time, I didn't know what to do. And I studied piano. I also studied musicology and I never quite knew if I would like to become a professional performer or uh, more like be a scholarly university person. So um, so after my studies, I, I was just I was just at a loss. I didn't know what to do. And as a uh, one of my um, one of my friends, she uh, she had connections to the Haydn Institute in Cologne. And this is where I met Annette actually for the first time, and I did an internship at the um, Haydn Institute for for just six weeks, and uh, apparently I didn't do a very bad job, so they recommended me as a proofreader for um, Henle Verlag, and then I did a lot of proofreading for Henle for I don't know one or two years and finally they asked me if I wouldn't like to apply for an internship at Henle Verlag and so my my experience was just like Annette's I came here I entered the building and I felt like okay this is what I would like to do because <laughs> there's a certain spirit here a certain team spirit and it just feels 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 right it just feels right to be here 
That's great. So then we have to know, what exactly do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is uh, not easy to explain, but let's try. Um, like a typical day, music... maybe, or like a typical day yes. or something, you know? We have many different parts of the work. One time we are we do very much reading. We read not only uh, literature about the works we edit, uh, but also, of course, manuscripts and music in all forms, sketches, autographs, uh, copies, early editions. We try to compare them. We make big scores where we put on all the details. I think Norbert has, a, has an example, which he wanted to show for this. We work on the text to know what are the differences of the many sources we have for one work and try to evaluate them to say, okay, this is a mistake, but this may be an earlier variant and interesting for the reader of an text edition. And from these informations, we try to gather a text which we then edit. And that is the other part of the job is very much communication. We have to uh, prepare the engraver's copy and it has to be sent out to the, for our typesetter for, for the music who makes the digitized form of the score. And this has to be checked and proofread by external checkers. And we have to decide uh, what to do with the layout for the pages, etc. This is all done in communication with many other parts of the publishing house, with the typesetter, with the um, other colleagues of the editorial, etc. Well, yeah, it's quite it's a, a long process. It's a very long process. Very. And it's, it's, it's divided in like, you know, there's one part of the day when we really sit at our desks and do very tedious work. <laughs> and then we also have, you know, this, this part where we communicate a lot. Like we also have to find artists who provide fingerings for our editions. And we have to find all kinds of, we have to find editors. These are usually specialists from musicology who are specialized in a certain composer. So we have to go to congress, to, to um, conferences, and we have to, to, to be up to date in terms of what's going on in, the, um, um, in musicology. So it's, a, it's really a wide variety of things we have to do. And that's, that's also part of the fun. <laughs> Because it's not just sitting at the desk, it's also communicating and, and talking to artists, talking to, to scholars. So it's a, yeah, it's a huge variety of things we do. So I'm curious because um, for some reason, a lot of people think, oh, musicians have to practice and it's so tedious and it's so many hours at the work. But to me, I feel like you also have to spend so many hours at your desk and you just mentioned that you also have to do some tedious work and probably looking and comparing uh, different notes for hours at the desk. So do you have any um, particular part of that work you want to tell us? Like what exactly are you deciding and how do you decide what is the correct note? It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's why I'm so curious. Yeah, I was wondering if if you if you are actually planning to show the image uh, yeah, I sent to you, um, because you you sort of see at first sight what we do. Because um, um, like for example, when we edit a piece by Chopin, the, the image I sent to you is from the B minor sonata um, by Chopin, and so what we do is first we 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 try to find all the sources 
necessary for the addition. And once we have all the sources collected, we have to compare the sources. And this is being done node by node. So we use um, in, like a normal printed edition and we compare each sign in the edition with the corresponding sign in the source and we mark if the sign is present or not. So this this means uh, staccato dots or dynamic signs or slurs and ties. So we we use one color for each source, and we we sort of um, we compare every single sign and every single source. So in the very end, <laughs> you have a very colorful page which shows. <laughs> I was wondering about what the colors were actually. Yes, <laughs> it shows in different colors what the different sources have as readings. And so you see at first sight um, which sources actually form a group or which sources have common readings. And this is the basis for our decisions because starting from this comparison, we have to decide which source is actually our primary source and which source is the best source and where do the other sources derive. And in the editing process, we, we follow this primary source, but of course this source also has mistakes. So we have to correct these mistakes on the basis of the other sources. So it's a very tedious um, decision process also. It's interesting when you first mentioned that you worked as a proofreader, I think about how, uh, how for writing like on Microsoft Word, we have a spell check and it's automatic proofreading. And I was just thinking, hmm, this does not exist really in, in uh, music notation. You have to really um, depend on the human eye to go note by note. I can't imagine how, how many hours that takes. Like from one manuscript from the beginning till the printed edition, how many months is that? I think we usually, we, we count like uh, an edition takes a year from mm. the point we start until the, the, the um, printed edition is, is published wow. actually. But this okay. is just the standard. Some editions take years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you, Annette, you worked on the Haydn, um, such a big choral work. I mean, I can't imagine yes. how many years and uh, hours that took. It took a little more than one year. Yeah, how did you land on the oratorial? I mean, it's just... Uh, Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so many different parts. <laughs> yes, it is uh, what Norbert described is the comparison of all the sources. It's a so-called collation of the sources. Uh, this took, I think, three or four years. Only the collation, only uh, so that I know what I have to compare and on what I have to decide on. And um, I think. Of course, we all do all other things uh, in between. You don't uh, edit one work eight hours a day, five days per week, etc. So you can't. But I think netto, it must be around about five years, which I needed for the creation. Yes. And this is, of course, a little different than our text editions because I made it for the complete edition. 
Josef Haydn works, uh, which is a um, musicology edition, and also documents all the um, different states of the work. So I had also to transcribe the sketches and to evaluate different versions of one area or one recitativo if you have erasures in the copies and can see, oh, there was an earlier version, but he changed it. And how can I learn what was under this erasure or under the neatly stitched leaf, which is on the music? This took very much time. But in the end, it resulted in three big volumes. And you must be so proud at the end to see the final product. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now I am. To be honest, when it was finished and I saw it uh, lying on the desk, it was a kind of strange feeling that this should be my work for five years. But now if I take it into my hands 10 years later, I think, wow, not badly. <laughs> <laughs> and what is <laughs> what is very nice is that we have these, these scores from the complete editions. These are very big items. But with Hinle, uh, we have these scores also as study editions in a very handy format and it's nice to think that very many people can buy these study scores which are not very expensive and so the knowledge which is documented in the complete edition is spread to the musicians very easily yeah that's good and all the hard work that you did really can inspire many more people when they read those scores and study yes so how did you maybe well yeah i hope so i mean i think so um <laughs> how did you decide or did you decide on your specialty in in the creation and also in the other choral works that you edit um how did you choose that specialty? yeah no not really to be honest to become a Haydn editor was uh, fate because when i was had finished my phd in 2000 i was looking for a, a job in this area of musicology and uh, there was about through Hainle the contact to the Haydn Institute in Cologne and they accepted me. They had a vacancy and I started working there. But um, it was, I think, love of in first sight <laughs> when I entered the Institute and Haydn. I, I, I really love the oratorio and I, I love the work, to work on it so very long. But then when I came to Hainle in 2008 and was becoming a the responsible editor for vocal music that was uh, really um, for me um, yes back to the roots because i love singing i studied also german literature and uh, this is a very good basis for doing the lead repertoire here mm. and so this is my was my way to this it all tied up together from the beginning when you love to sing yeah. too that's great <laughs> so there's a connection and everything's very organic in that way are there some things uh, about haydn that you didn't know before becoming um editor for his creation and um his choral big choral work many things i wasn't a haydn specialist at yeah. all when i started working on this so i was uh, really troubled by all this literature and all, yes, this bike of musicology to have to learn for this editing. But what was, I think, most impressing for me is um, how um, we always think when we uh, think about musical sources, okay, there's the autograph and there's maybe one copy and there's the first edition and so on. And what we mostly 
want is the autograph of because the composer wrote this down and this is the, the most valuable source and with Haydn it is completely different because where very many works uh, we don't have the autographs anymore they are lost and so it is with uh, the creation but you have uh, hundreds and millions of copies and how interesting it is to compare these copies and what you can learn from these copies and how um, very essential they are for uh, Haydn's popularity in the 19th century. He was very much, uh, his music was spread over the whole world in copies and not in editions. Uh, this was something very new for me. Well, it's an entirely different process of sharing music because now you, you just click a few buttons and it's out in the world. But to have so many... Yes, copies. we can't imagine today. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, Norbert, Chopin <laughs> is your specialty. It's one of your specialties. Yes. How did that come about? Well, again, it's like Annette. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of destiny or fate or what you would like to call it it uh, i didn't really choose it i mean i always love to play chopin and uh, of course as a pianist uh, chopin i think needs to be one of your favorite composers because he 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 composed so genuinely for the piano it's really it's something very special so um but i never thought about editing chopin but this um when i came to hinle actually on one of my first days my uh, two colleagues they uh, came to my office and and <laughs> they had a pile of sources in their hands and they said okay this is now <laughs> the um, the sources for chopin prelude and we would like you to start editing this uh, the cycle and i felt kind of overwhelmed because uh, you know I, I knew it's difficult to edit chopin and i i was just a beginner a bloody beginner and i didn't feel feel capable of doing this but slowly but surely i i got into it and i i developed all these you know all these skills and all the knowledge you have to have to edit this music and um yeah and, and in the end i was really very happy um, they sort of confronted me with Chopin and so it just happened <laughs> just like here you go Chopin prelude <laughs> yes <laughs> and actually the, the preludes are, are easy to edit so it wasn't such a such a bad start but later on I also did did other works by Chopin and they're really really heavy stuff to to make an urtext edition of it's difficult to uh, edit Chopin. What makes it difficult? Is it the many different sources and the mistakes and uh, differences? Exactly. It's the, uh, the the abundance of sources. And the problem is the sources are all, not all of them, but you have very many authentic sources. So all of them can be directly or indirectly um, traced back to Chopin himself. So you have very many um, authentic readings and you cannot say one of them is right or the other one is wrong. Somehow all of them are correct and you have to find a way through the jungle of all these readings and you have to present the, uh, the variants so that the pianists know um, there's not just one text you have to play here but there are different readings you may actually choose from because all of these variants are um, are by Chopin himself in a way yeah are there some things you learned about Chopin similar to the question I asked uh, Aneta about um, the composer and these works 
while you were editing? Because I'm sure you've played some of these pieces before when you were studying yes. piano. So uh, any different perspectives that you learned? Actually, what I just said, this um, this knowledge about variance is something I didn't I didn't have before. I just thought, you know, there's one urtext and you have to play it and that's it. But um, for me, it was a revelation to see all these differences. And you see that um, Chopin sort of always improvised his music. So this is what you see in the sources. They, you know, one time he, he wrote down a different ornament and the next copy, he changes it. He, he finds different readings for his students. And so there's a whole bunch of readings you can choose from. This is something I didn't know before. And this is something I, I really enjoyed and which, is, which also had a certain effect on my playing and on my performing. Mm. And I know you revised the ballads and the preludes what prompted that revision and what was that process like? Because you weren't starting from the original abundance of all the sources anymore. You were no. correcting something. So what prompted that correction? What was that like? Yeah, that's a bit difficult to say because there used to be a Haley edition uh, in our catalog, which which was a good edition, of course. I mean, when I revised this, uh, it didn't mean the old edition was bad. But um, the old Haley Chopin editions, they didn't really document or present all these variants. They were kind of one-sided. So for a long time, actually, pianists told us um, your Chopin editions are not really up to date anymore. You have to change the principle behind it. So, um, so this was why we started doing these Chopin revisions. And we are still doing it, you know, to, to present the sources in a different way. So when you play these uh, editions, how do you choose between the variants? Since you're well, a pianist yourself. I think, yeah, well, I'm not really a concert pianist. <laughs> so, no. You still play. So we shouldn't talk about it. I do play, but I don't, I don't perform anymore. <laughs> and um, I think the ideal way would be to have all these things in mind and to choose spontaneously what to play. But of course, I cannot do it. Uh, I, I have to look at the score and I have to try different versions and I have to see, okay, what works best for me. And I think, you know, for me, I would have to make a plan, you know, which reading to choose and how to perform this piece. But in a, I think to come closer to Chopin's way of playing or performing, it would be better to, to have the things in mind and to choose spontaneously in a sort of improvising way. Hmm. I never thought of it this like that. That's how it should work. That's, that's, um, see, I, I knew I was going to learn something. <laughs> I, I never really <laughs> thought, I mean, I, I could imagine it happening, but I didn't know that it was uh, a lot of improvisatory um, style in, in his works, because I usually yeah. associate that more with maybe list because of all the crazy passages that from one chord and then blah, mm. blah, 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 blah. that could be improvisatory but huh that's interesting actually it's it's getting much more closer to chopin if you if you start doing it it's uh, you are allowed to do it it's not it's not forbidden the text is not really fixed as much as you think it is and what about um Annette? do you have a different way of approaching vocal music. I mean, I, I don't know if you, you still sing now, but um, yeah, so yes, great. <laughs> so then what is that experience like now since you have the years of working as an editor and, and going through the process of seeing these scores printed? Um, 
Has it changed yes. for you? I think, yes, it has changed really because I think uh, there were two points. On the one hand, what Norbert already said that we learn from from reading all the manuscript sources and autographs and editions and seeing so many differences between the sources. We we learn that the text is not so firmly constituted as one thinks when he sees a printed edition. The printed edition looks like, okay, this is the way you have to do it, and there is no other thing. And you you see kind of behind the text if you are used to the manuscript sources and if you know how this text developed and that this is not the only way the text could develop. It could have been another way. It could have been shorter or louder or articulated legato instead of staccato and so on. And I think this is uh, something which I have in mind when now singing, for example, uh, from the leader editions I have made or, or we have in, in our edition. And the other thing is that, that you learn very much about how music is built. So you, you see the process uh, the composer has to go through to work to have a work written down and worked out and you hear it also in this way after reading music scores 20 years you see okay this is the bass line this these are the strings and they have these functions now and so and this is this makes music making and music hearing so much more fun because you're kind of part of when it when it mm. comes to life <laughs> Yeah, so, I can maybe. see that because you're it's a living thing almost because it it can change. Yes. And I, yes. Yeah, and so that's yes. why I I loved having you you talk about this process because uh it's not just an object. Music is not something that's fixed and you just kind of observe from the from the side. It's something that you are part of and so for me playing the music it means a lot to have the audience to experience with me so it's kind of part of the present uh, time and space together with the music to bring it alive so yeah well thank you so much anything you'd like to add uh, thank you for, for musicians who are reading the edition that you would love for them to to know or think about maybe we can end on this since many musicians will be watching this episode well, they should they should read. <laughs> they should read our critical comments <laughs> because you always. I did not want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it always looks very boring and it looks very I don't know dry and and not really attractive. But there's so much in these critical reports because it's again exactly what Annette has said. It it opens up the whole the whole story behind the work and the whole story behind the printed edition. And when you start reading, you suddenly realize, you know, there are different readings and there's a source which has E instead of C. And why can I just not try if C actually sounds better than E? So it may inspire you to to question the text and to, to try out different solutions. So I think um, looking at the very back of an, of an Urtext edition is always a good idea. There you go. I think that works. I mean, it, it is what 
that was wonderful. Yeah, I think that was great because that is what sets uh, uh, the artist edition apart, right? Because you have those explanations, yeah. and so that's why I'm happy to have Henle supporting the grants recipients who will be getting some scores to accompany their journey in learning music. So yeah, that was good. And maybe we can just add, add one thing, <laughs> because actually when you when you check the um, Henle Library app. Um, all these critical commentaries are uh, are not just at the back of the edition and not just printed. These comments are in the musical text. When you read the the music in the Hindle Library app, you see all these um, these 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 highlighted uh, passages in the music. And when you click on these um, areas, you find the explanation behind it. So it's actually in the score, and this makes it even more exciting to explore the the score and the different yeah, readings. Yes, so you can really see the history and how it came to be so yeah yeah exactly great well i think that was good yes <laughs> thank you so there you go that is how these sheet music come to be through many many months and sometimes years of editing note by note so i think it just increases your appreciation for the music that's in front of you and at least it did for me. So I hope you enjoyed this classical chat. I hope you've enjoyed the past, I don't know how many episodes. I look forward to making more next year. From everyone at Together with Classical, thank you very much for your support and happy holidays. <laughs>